Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Living Room Logic. Welcome back to Season 2 of Living Room Logic. For the first of this two-part topic, Aidan and I discuss the science of addiction, its links to our brain's evolution, and why happy rats don't want cocaine. Don't get hooked on the podcast, but follow it or subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Living Room Logic to join our logical following. This season is supported by FameLab Ireland. Welcome back! To another episode of Living Room Logic. Woohoo! Andrew's acoustic setup looks like he's in a cage of pillows and blankets. It's great. It's great. And uh, today we will be talking a bit about actual rats in actual cages and experiments of the mind. Mm. But really today what we want to talk about is the ideology about addiction and what addiction is and how our perception of addiction has changed over time. So before Andrew gets into the science and how we came to that, I just want to do a little thing that I'm going to edit in seamlessly. (laughs) So here's the thing. We live in an addictive world, a world driven by compulsion, impatience and quick fixes. We've invented many ways to escape, even just for a moment. A pull of a cigarette, downing a shot or a pint as Andrew drinks a pint. (sighs) Maybe by popping a pill or snorting a line. How about a roll of a bet or a click and a like? All of these things can be fun in moderation, but turns out many of these things can play the ultimate trick on your brain to think that a certain substance or activity is the only thing that can make you happy. So, Andrew, explain to us, how does this happen? How do some people, their brains get tricked into this? Easily is the um, Mm -hmm. sad answer and the correct answer. Yeah. Because addiction can be called something extraordinarily complex. And it's also the most basic need we have, which is we motivate ourselves to do something and then we get it and we feel a reward. And that reinforces the work we did. Oh, yeah. I, I worked hard to get something and then I got it. And a lot of addiction boils down to that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a manipulation of a very, very deep, deep part of our biology, our psychology, our society in general. Yeah. Like I just said, it's biological, it's psychological, it's societal. It is not simple you know what I mean yeah it's not a single thing yeah it's not a single thing so what I want to do is I want to talk through the different explanations and as I'm going through the different explanations of how an addiction comes about Mm -hmm. keep in mind that not it isn't that one of them are the correct answer together they're all the correct answer yeah the first one I want to talk about is evolution and I want to talk about how this developed 
right? And interestingly, this actually comes to the evolution of why we feel anything. What is the purpose of emotions? Why do we why did we evolve to be happy? Yeah. Why did we why would we evolve to be sad? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> a lot of the time it's uh it's exactly what we're trying to not experience our entire life to feel sadness and we're always in that pursuit of happiness and to many and to too oftenly it's completely unattainable. Yeah. It, it's almost too high for us to reach. Yeah. So the first thing is to step back from who we are today, who a human is today, and what are the needs and the wants of a human today? Because that is not where emotions came from, okay? Mm -hmm. The basis of emotions are very deep and very simple and very core, okay? Mm -hmm. Emotions are a fundamental tool that were made by natural selection. Yeah. And the idea was that a positive emotion such as being euphoric or excited, was to motivate you towards survival. You would feel excited. You would feel euphoric if you just found food and you ate it. Yeah. That's another step to surviving another day. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Brilliant. That's <laughs> what positive emotion was. Hell yes, <clears throat> I just found this berry and I'm loving it. And negative emotion, such as anxiety or pain, is a defense mechanism, okay? It's motivating you towards managing a threat that you might be under. And from an evolutionary point of view, if you're sad, it means you need to change your circumstance to ones towards being more survival. Yeah. Okay? You're currently in a bad situation. You need to get, get out of it. And mm -hmm. a negative emotion, it drives you to escape this danger whether for your life or anything like that. And if you have too little of these negative emotions, right, mm -hmm. it leads to less fear and a higher chance of death. Okay. We said this before in uh, episode two of season one, where there's the fear gene, you know, the higher likelihood that uh, if you're afraid of the things that will kill you, you're less likely to be killed by them. Yeah. Okay. We said that. And that's true. And it's the same thing for if you are someone who can experience a negative emotion like anxiety or sadness or, or fear, mm -hmm. back when mammals were evolving, that would save your life. Yeah. If you were brazen and didn't experience fear at the sight of a tiger charging at you, <laughs> good night. Okay, yeah. it's yeah, over. You're going to get eaten. You're going to get eaten. So it's really, really important. So these negative emotions, right, they've evolved to help mammals to elude to even the slightest, most harmless potential indicator of a more serious problem. That's what anxiety is all about, isn't it? It's like something small has gone wrong. But what you're afraid of is the cascade of downstream effects that will yeah. freak you out. And that's, that's how you develop like that personal and social anxiety. That's like where we get a lot of these like, uh, like depression and anxiety and things like, like that. Like our brain overcalculates the likelihood of bad things happening. Maybe the likelihood is super small, but it's still a chance. And yeah, in overthinkers, those small chance of a bad thing happening, it's super amplified. Mm -hmm. And... That's, but that's why it's rampant in society. Yeah. Because evolutionary, all of the people who didn't experience sadness are gone. Mm -hmm. They didn't survive. They didn't think about what if we don't have enough grain for the winter. 
they didn't think about they were just like if, we got yeah. so much grain this is yeah. great <laughs> it's raining grain <laughs> <laughs> and then the bad winter or famine hits and that's oh. it <laughs> and then they're gone mm-hmm. and long live the fearful folk okay that's important to understand so that that makes sense of the negative emotions yeah now Back to positive emotions, which are much more important for the discussion around any addictive disorder of the brain, right? Yeah. Positive emotions include two main things, and we'll we'll be going back and forth on these a lot, all right, for the next few minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. The first one is that feeling of anticipation and, ex- and excitation by the promise of survival, okay? So this could be the anticipation because you're working, you're hunting, and you're happy, you have a positive emotion in pursuit of this goal, okay? Yeah. And this it's like an encouraging, it's a motivating positive emotion, right? To reach the goal. And then the second one is the positive relief or security at the removal of a threat, okay? So mm. this could be, this is the, oh, I'm so glad we actually caught that thing we hunted. And now you're happy and you feel secure because you got it. And now you can feed your whole thing yeah. and you feel a huge sense of relief and a huge sense of pride and happiness. So those are the two positive emotions. It's the positive that pushes you to get there. And it's the happiness you feel when you're there. After you're there. Yeah. Once you've attained it. Yeah. So these things make sense, right, in an evolutionary context. But today, it doesn't. Today, we feel happy when we get a test result. Okay, and we feel scared when we get a bad test result. And you could make the argument that, oh, this is maybe influencing your place in society. But that isn't what these emotions were built for. You get what I'm saying? These emotions were built for, I will starve if I do not hunt this boar. Yeah. And you get motivated to hunt the boar. Mm -hmm. And then you get driven to look past your fear and then you feel elated when you find it and feed your family Mm -hmm. that's what the emotions were built for need and survival and how many times would they those feelings happen probably not a lot or they there's a baseline amount when you're running around chasing mammoths Um, exactly but this wasn't a daily occurrence like this. yeah that they were feeling things like that yeah you you couldn't repeat it a lot right and like like we're saying, this like change in the perspective of what a positive and negative emotion is, is completely different because in the past, positive emotion was survival. You're, it was improving your survival of the fittest. That's what positive was. Mm-hmm. But today, it's happiness, isn't it? It's the it's joy. It's we all want to live a happy, long life, which is utterly unattainable. You know, it's like the that's the whole thing about the pursuit of happiness. You can't. It's not real. You're not you, you. You're looking for a life of stability in reality. And the thing is, is that we get a lot of these situations, right, where these systems in your brain, which were built to keep pushing you forward, Mm. they can be manipulated. And the problem is, is because these core emotions, they're deeper than you are. They drive you. You don't drive them. Yeah. They, you are your consciousness and your thoughts and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know what is below that? That's the deeper, deepest part. This is the part that's in every mammal on earth. You consciously don't go, it's been a while since I drank water. I probably need to drink water. No, you get thirsty and then you go, 
I'm going to go get water. And then you get your water and you're like, ah, you had my drink. Mm. Same thing with food. You don't say, God, it's been a while since I ate. You go, what the hell is that noise coming from my stomach? What are these pangs of pain coming from my gut? Mm. I am hungry. And, and what do you do? You do what it tells you. You get up, you get yourself food. Whether that's ordering fast food or going cooking, it's the same thing. Or being mean to your partner because you're hangry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's it. It's it's deeper. It controls you. It's yeah. not you. You don't control it. You cannot control it. It controls you. And it's the same way with this, right? So the problem is when you get into talking about uh, an addiction disorder, is that what any of these addiction disorders, uh, whether they're physically manipulating these evolutionary established systems in the brain, yeah, yeah. or non-directly reacting to it. So if it's a very easy motivation with a very quick reward, all it's doing is basically taking advantage of a very archaic, very core system in the body yeah, and altering it. And this system was there to keep you alive. So it is deep. And it's very powerful. Exactly. So I want you to, so I'll put it this way, okay? Consider this. Your brain rewards you for positives, right? And when you complete a goal, mm -hmm. it gives mm -hmm. you a reward and that drives you to repeat work to achieve the goal. Do it again. Get the reward, right? And the reward and motivation to get the reward are tightly interlinked. The behaviours and substances of abuse falsify this increase in survival that you're meant to get from this, mm -hmm. resulting in the, in the reward signal. And then like before, your neural circuitry tells you, God, do that again. We got the reward. We'll motivate you. Go do that again. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that even if you are cognitively aware that this, let's say, drug or this behavior was not actually helping you, that doesn't matter. This is deeper than you are. You could consciously be aware of it, but it's deeper than you. It controls you. You could say, God, this is bad. This isn't actually helping me at all. Your reward system doesn't care. Yeah. Your reward system is deeper. It says, just like you need food, you need to keep doing this thing that gives you reward and I'm going to motivate you to do it. And this like paradoxical thing of this isn't good for me, but I can't stop doing it is really important. Mm -hmm. OK, it's a feedback loop. And this feedback loop, this circle is what results in a disorder, right? The brain will drive you to get that positive emotion because the person, the brain thinks this is going to save me. Yay. Yeah. And it doesn't. And the thing is, is this can get to a point where it actually overtakes things like eating and things like sleeping. Mm hmm. Because it's much more repetitive. There's no time between it. There's no limit. You know, wow. it, it offers the most reward for the least motivation. The least work, most reward. And that's ideal. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. That's what this part of the brain really, really wants. Okay. So, in effect, the substance of abuse or the behavior becomes the primary driving factor of survival for the body and brain, okay? And it hijacks this a positive emotion circuitry which drives you to complete tasks which may not be related to survival, but the brain perceives it as you need to do this to survive. This is what you need. Yeah. And if you don't get the reward, that's when you go into things like withdrawal. You're not frequently getting a reward that you've established that the body needs. The motivation gets bigger. And the motivation gets bigger and the motivation gets bigger and the motivation gets bigger because that is your survival. 
if you were in a desert walking for days and days, what kicks in? Survival. Mm -hmm. The most core, most powerful behavior that you have, the survival instinct, the thing that will keep you alive. At your weakest moment, it will push you. And that very thing that will push you at your deepest, darkest, least powerful moment is at the core of an addictive disorder. Wow. That's the driving factor. And it's it's so powerful. The way that this is actually controlled physiologically, like in the brain. The, yeah, that's the, what that's what I'm kind of wondering now. Like I mm. give me the give me the give me the nitty gritty here. The sauce. <laughs> give me the sauce. I want to know oh. all of the, the ways that this does. Because you've talked about it. And and may I just say that, like, when you said the power of it, like, mm. I guess people, only people who have starved or who have been, had literally been close to death because they're so thirsty would understand the strength yeah. of that emotion. Or maybe a mother yeah. who had just had a child or a mother who yeah. maybe their kid went into the next aisle in a supermarket and they yeah. got just got this overwhelming, strong emotion yeah. to find them, you know. So incredible. It is incredible. It's complete. It, it, yeah, it's hard to even fathom. And I don't know what it's like mm-hmm. because it is the most powerful emotion. And I am so lucky and so privileged in my life that I've never been in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something not to take for granted. And especially when you're thinking about people in these um, in these uh, addictive disorders or living with these addictive these disorders, mm-hmm. that's what their experience is. That's how strong it is. It's playing that fiddle in the biological orchestra, right? Yeah. It is playing the key, the lead, the most primary thing, right? So let me now, I, now I'm going to talk about the, the nitty gritty, the biology, right? But it, it is still cool, right? So biologically speaking, I just talked about the kind of evolutionary, the kind of psychological side of it, right? Yeah. Where we said um, what motivates you to work and the reward at the end, the biological people say like and want. Okay, so there's your two factors. What you like doing, what you like drinking, the happy feeling you have when you open up a drink that you like or when you're eating something that you like to eat and the want, which is what drives you to get the thing you like. The like and the want are controlled by two different systems. Like is opioids. Okay, like is your opium, your heroin, your morphine. This is what those drugs will target. And this is core because all living things like things. Okay, they like food. <laughs> yeah. They like sugar. They this is core and this is so core. It's in the brain stem. Okay? Wow. Right next to what beats your heart and what keeps your lungs going. In the brain stem, it is that core. Okay? It's like that in every mammal. It is at the very very base of it, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what gives you like. The other one want is the more complicated system. And that is mediated by dopamine. Okay, you might have heard about dopamine. And this is your mesolimbic system in the brain. And it's all about motivation. Okay, it's all about the pleasure and getting chemicals in your brain going to pursue what you like and to go get it and go get it, right? This is what pushed you forwards. Another thing is another part in this mesolimbic system is called the nucleus accumbens, right? And this is like a key reward center. It's super, super crucial. And it's really targeted by alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's hit by opiates and cocaine. And all of the neurotransmitters are involved in this. 
Okay, all of them, the dopamine, serotonin, your uh, encephalkins, your GABA, your noradrenaline, you know, all the, all the hot names out there, you know. Okay. Like, they're all involved and they're all changed by any alteration to this reward pathway. Wow. Okay, they're all manipulated. They're all changed. And in the brain, if one area is off balance, it spreads, okay? It, it has a cascade effect that changes the amount of this neurotransmitter you're producing in your brain. What can happen, right, is that when the balance of the reward system is broken, you can mess up and your like system, for example, and not like things anymore. And this can result in a like deficiency disorder where let's say you've eaten too much chocolate. This is a super euphemism if I've ever done one. <laughs> but if you eat too much chocolate to the point that you don't enjoy it anymore, that is a reward deficiency because you are now too normalized. You, your brain no longer rewards you. So you need to eat more chocolate and more chocolate. The want doesn't change. You're still bringing in positivity to your to your system. The amount you like it, you need more, you need more. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, a weird hoarding behavior of humans that um, we just want more and more and more to make us happier and happier. It's not enough to kill one boar. One boar makes us want to kill two boars and then kill three boars and then lead the village and then be a king, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, those are steps, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, that's what, what makes this all so crazy that it is that additive thing. Scrounge break. Do you hate your job? Do you want to make $50 an hour just by eating pizza all day? Well, go watch some YouTube ads because instead, I want to let you brainy folk know that me and Andrew make this magical podcast out of the goodness of our little hearts. So go to patreon.com forward slash living room logic and donate some of your claw wedge for science. So you have like opioids, which is, again, the system that gives you the like and dopamine, which is that anticipation of reward, the want, right? And in this model, right, the drugs of abuse, which target the dopamine system, that mesolimbic system with the nucleus accumbens and all that shenanigans, that alters the entire reward seeking behavior part of the brain. It's one wow. system. You, do, you don't have a reward seeking system for food and water and a mate and a home. You don't, it's one system, one system which drives all of it. So if one is out of balance, it it influences everything else. Okay. So crazy. the thing, yeah, it is crazy. And opioids, right, they provide the reward state where you pursue pleasure. Okay. And this completely messes up. This is um, things of abuse such as morphine and heroin and things like that. They're opiates and they, they significantly impact this reward system. Mm -hmm. And it impacts everything because you become void of feeling towards pleasure. It has completely changed your perception. Yeah. And anything that you enjoy is now number. So really what you're saying is like it completely overloads that biological system that we're used to at certain levels like at this kind of i don't know middle rung and then yeah. you know you take these certain substances and they just break those chemicals out of the water and yeah. skyrocket these things and then your brain's like well i want to i want to feel that level of concentration again exactly i don't want that baseline mm -hmm. that's nothing now it raises the bar wow how cool it raises the bar for one but 
it's one system. So the bar is raised not only for that, but for everything. Yeah. If you raise the bar with one of these substances, it means that you won't enjoy things like food as much. Mm-hmm. It reduces that because the bar of the whole system is up. An important thing to think about this, though, is that this system is built exactly as it should be. Mm. Right? Mm. Humans should have this system. The number one goal, like I said at the start, is survival. It is absolutely crucial for us to do all of these things. So it is genetically built into us to be like this. It is genetically built into us to have this system. Yeah. Now, the system wasn't built expecting to have these weaknesses. Okay. The system wasn't built to expect anything in life to be easy. That's the reality of it. It, This system was built because life was meant to be extraordinarily difficult and everything would take an extraordinary amount of work and at the end you should feel happy. (laughs) You know, you should feel some form of delight at the end of all of this work. But today, that's not the way. From simple survival-based things. Exactly. And it's so genetically pushed. And that's why it's, it's so important to separate this false definition of people are like there's so much taboo and we'll go into it more later Mm -hmm. around addiction and people with these uh, behavioural or substance abuse disorders because they're living with it it is not them and it is literally one of the it's one of the most core genetic biological psychological and I'm about to describe the societal explanations of all of this yeah and it's so important, like, and they're finding all the time all of these different genes mm. that that seriously impact your susceptibility. So, like, there are two dopamine receptor genes, which they have found correlate with a susceptibility to different uh, substances of abuse. Wow. So there's a DRD2 gene, right, which codes for uh, one of the dopamine receptors. Yeah. And people with this Uh, mutation in this disease, in this receptor gene, they have a much greater susceptibility to alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Then there's also a DRD4 gene, which is another dopamine receptor. And it's what this does, it, it, it reduces naturally our sensitivity to like, okay, it reduces our sensitivity to pleasure. But what happens is it doesn't affect the want, right? So what happens is you already begin at that state of I need to take more to get the greater pleasure. Wow. And that pushes up the want, the reward, the motivation really early, which gives you a susceptibility to developing one of these addictive disorders. Wow. So it's super, super deep. Okay. Mm -hmm. And as clean as those explanations are, of the evolutionary and psychological and biological driving factors, our environment has a crazy impact, okay? Yeah. And now I want to tell you a story about Rat Park. <laughs> oh! Rat Park. Here we go, rats in cages. I told you. Okay, so this is extraordinary. This study really changed the way that we looked at it. Because when we used to study in research labs, and we, not including myself, but including the scientists who actually did the work, <laughs> what they would do is you'd have a rat in a cage with some bedding and some food and maybe a little wheel for himself. Yeah. And he had two water bottles, one with nice water that was enough to quench your thirst, and the other was laced with cocaine. Mm. And they would go up and they would watch the rat and go, I wonder which one the rat will pick. 
Hmm, I wonder which drink the rat will drink more of. And when he drank all of the cocaine-laced water, they went, oh, addictive substance alert. That rat is addicted. Cocaine is bad. Yeah. That was the way it was done. Mm-hmm. Until Rat Park. And Rat Park made a huge impact, right? Because what Rat Park did was it said, Aiden, I'm putting you in your room. Mm-hmm. And you're going to sit in your room. No. And you'll you'll have a treadmill. You'll have your bed. I'll give you food at the same time every that day. That actually sounds class. <laughs> and I'll give you a bottle of water. And I'll give you a bottle of water which is laced with cocaine. Okay. Uh, but you're completely isolated. And I'm going to leave you there for like four or five months. You have no ability to ent- entertain yourself with anything outside. You have no ability to socialize with any other creature mm-hmm. in existence. You're completely isolated alone and cold having to make your own heat. Except for be- being either high on life by drinking water or being high on cocaine. Yeah. So that was what Rat Park said. They said... What would you do in that situation? What would you do? More than likely, if you were locked in there for that long, you would be miserable. And what would you do? You would try to replace that negativity, that negative emotion with something which directly padded that emotion, which is a substance which targets the like and want pathways in your brain. Yeah. So... What great scientists in the 70s and 80s did was they built Rat Park. Rat Park was beautiful, Aid. Rat Park had all of the spinning wheels. I don't know, it sounds pretty scary. (laughs) Oh no, I was talking about the jail cell. This is Rat Park. It had exercise wheels. It had toys. Oh, it was fun. It it was fun. It had carefully selected uh, other rat mates that were not aggressive that wanted to play Aww. and socialize they were they were allowed to mate when they wanted to they were allowed to do whatever they want they were given lots of food and diverse foods they were a given great life. everything a rat would want a brilliant life and up top there were two bottles yeah one with water and one laced with cocaine and they drank the water in the jail cell the rat drank the coke water right oh yeah yeah Oh, Absolutely. The, the rat, the rat drank drank that down. Yeah, I had a great time. Well, well, that suppl- poor rat supplemented its bad time with a substance that padded that bad time. Okay, perfect sense. But the rat and rat park was fulfilled. The rats in rat the rats. Park. Yeah, loads the, of them probably. The happy social society of rats. They didn't need the cocaine. They didn't need the cocaine. They didn't, not that they didn't need it, they didn't want it. They didn't. And they were very happy and they had a great, fabulous life. Some of the best lives that any (laughs) research rats (laughs) have ever had. Uh, Any lab rat. Oh, absolutely. And that brings in like a a sense of, it's another psychological and clinical psychological perspective of addictive disorders. Often it is a means of dealing with something. It is a means of you, you will always feel want. Mm -hmm. And as a living thing, you're desperate to feel the like. You're desperate to feel that pleasure. That's that's existence. You want, you get, you feel happy. You could do the next thing. It's that pursuit. So the, the theories that kind of simmered out of this was that there was an emotional aspect to it, like a personal aspect to it where you are trying to deal with your life and there is a 
biological drive to replace the lack of pleasure with something. And yeah. the thing is, is that when they look at all of this, it, there's a huge correlation between family dysfunction and disruption, being in a lower social class, um, not being looked after effectively by your parents, lots of early life stress, lots of um, social drug use exposure. Like if you're surrounded by people experiencing the same thing. Bad things happening when you're young. Exactly. And to make up for these bad feelings, you're only young. So you go for what makes you happy the quickest. Mm-hmm. It's it's a Band-Aid. It fixes this, I'm feeling negative, I want to feel positive. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's very human. Even naturally, aside from any behaviours or substances of abuse, that's the human condition. I feel bad. I want to do something about it. And when I do something about it, I feel a little better. And I keep trying to do something about it until I feel enough better. Yeah. And what this is theory, this kind of stressful, personal, social theory is saying that you need to be in an environment that lets you heal, that lets you as an individual achieve your wants, not just experience want, because want can turn into desperation. You can't, mm-hmm. If all you exist is want and you never get there, it kills your motivation. That's... It drives you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the other side of it. And there's a psychologist uh, from Canada called Gabor Mate, and I strongly advise anyone to give him a Google mm. who wants to learn more about this side of things. Um, he's brilliant. And uh, I, I won't go into anything else what he does, but I couldn't uh, advise what he says about it more because he comes at addictive disorders from a place of extreme empathy with the individual and just like everything else hopefully that i just said it makes a lot of sense mm. yeah I, I i watched a couple of his videos over the past couple of weeks yeah it, it's it's the the idea of uh, compassion it's really what comes across from him and yeah not to mention he's also a great speaker but i wanted to interject for a second andrew and say that all that biological stuff that you're talking about at the start. And even you said that some people are genetically predisposed Mm. to having a higher likelihood of having an addictive disorder. But it's it's not just that. It's their environment as well. And it's everything. It it needs it needs everything to happen badly. It's almost like, you know, it's like a domino effect or like it's Mm -hmm. it's that collective thing that if someone in a good family where there was no trauma in early childhood, maybe they were predisposed. Maybe they had one of those dopamine receptors. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no, you, nothing ever happened in that they didn't, <clears throat> they didn't suffer from an addictive disorder. Well, that's exactly it. It's kind of not everyone who takes an, a, a per se addictive substance becomes addictive in the same way that not everyone who is susceptible to becoming uh, someone who has an addictive disorder ever gets exposed to any substance mm-hmm. or to any repetitive behavior. It's, it is a coming together of a lot of factors. And the problem is, is that once you have all those factors together, yeah. you have the strongest driving force in the human condition pushing this. 
that's the problem. It, it's wow. it's a sli- it's a small slippery stepping stone into the most powerful force in human behavior, survival, which is what it overtakes. Which is what most people never feel for most of their lives. Hopefully. Well, you feel it to a small degree, you know, like if we went back like a million years, we'd experience it every day (laughs) because every day was a fight for survival. Every day you needed to eat and you didn't have a fridge. Mm -hmm. You didn't have like life today is completely incomparable for the life which these biological drivers were designed for and evolved for. Like it's the, not comparable. The only thing I can compare, and maybe it's a terrible comparison, but honestly, the, from my personal uh, experience, the only comparable emotion I've ever felt is I. So I'm a type one diabetic, and sometimes I get low blood sugar. And at times of low blood sugar, I can sometimes even nearly black out um, and kind of lose myself. And and I just have this like un dying urge to eat food it sounds crazy it sounds really weird but it's like i i don't stop feeling it until i'm like three bowls of cereal deep yeah <laughs> and, but, and, but, and i can yeah. be and i can be quite um i wouldn't say aggressive but i can be quite frustrated and i can be a bit of an asshole and i maybe have to a, a bit maybe a bit primal yeah absolutely and so, yeah. like, it's funny because, like, I, I, I sometimes I've I've on one or two occasions had to, like, apologize to to one of my family members been like, I'm sorry for, like, shouting at you when I was eating that <laughs> bowl of cereal two days ago, you know, but it's it's just it's so interesting. And I and I, I look, maybe it's nothing similar, but I think maybe it is. It goes down to that lowest level of my survival. Yeah. It's like. Like yeah. I like it's weird if I feel like I'm not myself. It literally lights a fire in the want. You know, it's a your want becomes a need. That's the that's yeah. the bend. It's meant to be a want. And it was designed that your wants become your needs when you're under threat of survival and you're literally experiencing that when you're having one one of those situations where you need that. You mm-hmm. need to eat. It's it's no longer a It'd be good if I ate. It's a need. Well, because I'm, I'm pretty sure when you have low blood sugar, your your brain chucks a bunch of adrenaline into your system. Yeah. So, like, I get this super fighty flighty feeling, mm. and I, like you know, I get the shakes and stuff, and yeah. I'm like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but then, except for that, that extreme, very strange and very unique feeling of wanting to, for some reason, eat a load of food, like it's very strange. Yeah, but. It is and it isn't. It's like, it makes complete sense. Like, and like I said uh, earlier, it controls you. Yeah. You do not control it. It overrides everything you are and takes the wheel and says, this is how you exist now. You do, you do whatever it takes to get that food. Yeah. It, it, it's the boss now. It is the captain now. Yeah. It is, (laughs) you know, that's what it is though. That's what it's all about. So interesting. This is the end of the podcast We hope you enjoyed your time If you're feeling generous And you're not completely skinned Why don't you give us some of your money Join our Patreon 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 